0: So we're going to finish our series, Healthy Church, today. We've been going through this short little book called Titus, as Paul, the apostle, has written to a young pastor, Titus, to teach him how to set up a healthy church on the island of Crete, where Paul left him. So that's what we're going to be doing. Chapter three, we're going to finish that, finish the book today, and what I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, the point, is that I want you to go out from here and go do good. See ya. That's enough, right? Just go out and do good. You guys probably already knew that before you came in, right? Do you even need me to tell you that? Just go be better. Do good. Help people. But that's not enough, is it? I was thinking about it this week as I was really pondering this this message and this this passage, which I, I love this passage. It's one of my favorite in the whole Bible. And I was really thinking about it that there's three main motivations why people do good. And I'm going to submit, and and I'm going to paint pretty broadly here as we talk about these three reasons why people do good, but I'm going to say that the first two are not very good. They're not. You say, well, aren't people doing good? Yeah, but that's not necessarily good. So this is what we're going to talk about today. So the first one is that some people do good to buy favor, to buy favor. Even if you're not religious or if you are, you're saying, well, I'm going to do good for other people. I'm going to help other people to buy favor because I want them to like me. Or maybe you are religious, but you're not Christian. You say, well, there's this thing called karma. If I do good, then good will return to me. Or maybe you want to escape this cycle of rebirth. And in the next life, you want to be born with a better life. So you're going to do good so that good will come back to you, right? To buy favor. You do it with other people. If you want a boss, if you want the job, you want to please the boss and do good to impress them. If you like a girl, you're going to do good to impress that girl, right? You want to buy favor with people. We do this all the time. There's different transactions. The reason why we're doing good is so other, somebody else can see it and do good for us, whether it's them or God. A lot of religious people, even Christians, do this. Well, I want to buy favor with God. I've got to get blessing from him. And if I live a good life, good things are going to happen to me, and then I'll be able to go to heaven. I'm going to do enough good, and I'm going to buy favor with God. Well, here's the problem with this motivation. Here's the problem with this motivation. When you do good for this reason, one of two things happen in your life. You either become arrogant or angry. You become arrogant because you think, I'm doing good and I deserve good in return. So then when good things do happen in your life, when you're doing well in your career and your family's healthy, you're saying, well, I just deserve it. You become arrogant and the people who don't have lives as nice as yours, you look down on and you judge them. And you're mean to them. You're self-righteous. You become arrogant. I'm going to reference a work, a book by Martin Luther, the theologian, called A Treatise on Good Works a few different times in my message. But Martin Luther said the problem with this is that it makes us God. We decide what's right or wrong, and we deserve what's good. So if you do enough good, you either become arrogant or you become angry because when good things don't happen to you or when something bad happens to you, you think, I don't deserve this. You become angry. You get frustrated. How could God do this to me? Or how could the universe do this to me? How could other people do this? I deserve better than this. So what happens in either one of these situations, whether you become arrogant or you become angry or sometimes both, you're going to hurt yourself and hurt other people, even when you're doing good. So that's the first motivation for doing good. But there's a second one. It's more subtle. And this is maybe slightly better than the first motivation, but it's this to pay it back. To pay it back. There's been good things in my life, so I just want to pay it forward. I want to give back. Have you heard that? That's pretty popular right now. Let's, we just need to give back to our community and the, the community that we were raised in. We want to give back. So this is slightly better motivation because it can come from an area of gratefulness in our hearts. But here's what often happens. Becomes guilt. Right? I have to give back because I was raised better than this. People taught me everything around me man. Everything has been a gift from somebody or somebody else helped you out or you got some handout. Man, how am I ever going to pay all these people back and you feel guilty? I'm not volunteering enough time I'm, not giving enough money And this is the problem with this motivation because how much is enough How much do I need to pay back? How much of my time do I need to give away before I've made up for what I've received? Let me tell you this if you do believe in god, it's endless That's why we even sing in the hymn, all to him I owe. I could never pay it back. Man, that's hard because if your motivation is only to pay it back, even if it's paying back God, you will never pay enough. You'll never do good enough. Man, and that can be terrifying. John Piper calls this the debtor's ethic. I like that term. It's because I owe this. I'm in debt. I've got to pay it back. I've got to do more and do more and more. And God doesn't want us to live out of this motivation either. He doesn't. I heard a theologian compare this to a bathtub. And this image helped me, and I hope it helps you as well, that God, when he saves us, if if you're a believer, you say, well, God saves me, and he fills up your bathtub with grace and blessing. Awesome. i got this bathtub full of, of this water, right? But what happens when you sin then in this idea, in this debtor's ethic, is that the plug gets pulled from the bathtub and then the water starts rushing out. And you better repent of your sins and confess them right away so you can get the, the water plugged up, right? The bathtub. And then you can keep some water in it. But uh-oh, you've run out of some water. So you're going to have to do more good to put water back in the tub. I've got to do more good and build it up. And the problem is we never know how much water we have in our tub. So we're always worried, do I have enough? What if I sin too much and it gets too low? Then I've got to do all sorts of good things, all sorts of stuff to get more water in my tub. See, when the motivation is to pay it back, even if it's to pay God back, it can be very harmful to ourselves because we're terrified. Is it enough? And it never is. But God wants us to have a third motivation and the reason why we do good. And, and, and this is what we're going to focus on in our message today. And it's out of a transformed heart. A transformed heart. What God wants is not you to say, I- I'm going to work hard so I can earn favor with God, earn grace from Him. He doesn't even want you to try to pay Him back for the favor He's given you. He wants you to have a transformed heart and from the inside be transformed out and live it out with good works. We have a benevolence fund here at our church and some of you guys give to that. You can give online and if you leave cash in the wooden boxes on your way out, we always put that in the benevolence fund. So it's someone who's in need in our church family or connected to our church family. We help them out when there's needs that come up. My last church in Nebraska, we were right off the interstate. So I got lots of people that would stop by. We were the first church off the interstate. People just stopping by and people asking for help. And people often came with one of those two motivations. First one, they would say, I'm a good person. I work really hard, and I've been working hard and providing for my family for decades. I I, I volunteer at my church back home, and man, I just need some help right now. Just need some help right now. I've done good, and they think they've bought favor, right? And I'm not God, obviously, but we do this with people too, right? Okay, so you feel like I owe you because of what you've done. And then sometimes they'll do the second motivation. People will say, you know... If you help me out right now, I will make sure I pay back every single penny. I don't have the money right now, but when I do, I can promise you it will come back. People do this. They're saying, give to me either because I've earned it or or I will pay you back after the fact. And and what I have learned to tell these people now is, you know, we're going to help you. We're going to give to you. But what I want you to do is hopefully have your heart changed because God has given to us and that's why we give. And then hopefully someday you will give as well. You don't have to pay us back. That's not why we're doing it. Hopefully you will have a transformed heart. And I always have to pray. Hopefully that will happen. Sometimes we see it happen. But we want to see a transformed heart. And that's what God wants to see in us as well. And that's what we're going to see in our passage. Because that's the reason why we do good. And our big idea today is very simple. You are saved for good for good. You're saved for good for good. I did not stutter. That's not a typo. You're saved for good for good. And this is for us who are believers. And I'm hoping and praying that there were some of you here today that aren't believers yet, but by the end of our message and the end of our service today, you will be. I'm working on you. You are saved for good for good. Okay, so I want you to see all three points, three motivations in this. You are saved. You are saved. That's passive. You remember that from grammar? You do not save yourself. what I want you to see first from this big idea. You do not save yourself. God saves you. He does it all. So therefore you don't earn salvation with God. You don't earn his favor. He saves you. Second thing for good, the first one. So this phrase for good, we often use in the sense of forever, don't we? For good permanently. The end finito for good. And that's what I meant because we don't have to pay God back. He saved us once for all. We don't have to pay him back. We don't have to feel like, oh, I owe everything I got. No, no, no. We're saved for good permanently. And then the third aspect, we also use that phrase for good as a purpose clause, right? For the purpose of doing good. So I want you to see all three points in this one big idea. You are saved for good for good. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are saved for good for good. Thank you. I think I heard... Three goods over here. No, I'm okay, well, so let's dive into this passage in Titus chapter three. And like I said, this is one of my favorite passages, especially when we get to verses five, six, and seven. Oh man, I love actually verse four too. It's a good passage. If you're a memorizer, memorize this passage. So good, it transformed my life. I'll talk about that a little bit later. It's been so important to me, and it is chock full of theology. So you're going to need to study it some more this week because I'm not going to get into all the minutiae. You could spend a lifetime probably studying this one passage. So good it's going to teach us that you are saved for good for good. Okay? So let's start in verse 1. Remind the people, Paul says to Titus, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. So Paul begins with that command, right? Go and do good. Do good to the authorities that are above you. Do what they tell you to do. Do good to all people. Be respectful. Be peaceable. You know, don't slander people. Don't say bad things about other people. You need to be good. He starts out with that command. And this is so important, you know, to authorities. We all have authorities over us in our life, not just in the government, not just in the police force, but we also have authorities that are our parents, that are our teachers, our principals, our bosses, our CEOs. We have authorities over us. And just to summarize what the whole Bible says is basically, unless the authority tells you or makes you sin, it's a sin not to do what they say. That's just a little summary of what the Bible teaches about it. If they tell you to do something wrong or sinful, don't do it. But otherwise, we have to do what they say, even if we don't like it. That's why we pay our taxes. Right? Oh, sometimes we grumble about it. Right? We give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He's our authority. The government is our authority, so we do good for those people. But it says be ready to do whatever is good. In all circumstances, in all situations, we do good. We slander no one. We're always speaking good about other people. What Paul is basically saying here, if I think John Wesley paraphrased it pretty well, is do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Right? Do good. Do good. Well, we want a little more than that, right? Galatians 6, 9, Paul said something similar. He said, let us not grow tired of doing good. We're called to do good. We're saved for good for good. So go out and do good always to all people. But then we're saying, well, why? What's the motivation? Okay, What, what is going to get me to actually do that? Because we all know before you stepped in here that we're supposed to do good. We're supposed to do good. So what is it actually that's going to change our hearts and transform us so that we do have the right motivation? We don't do it out of guilt or fear or to earn something as a transaction for ourselves. We do it out of a transformed heart. So let's look at this passage in verse 3. We read, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. What he's saying is that even himself, we're all sinners. We've all done very bad things. We know we're supposed to do good and then we do bad. We, even for our own lives, we say, nobody should do that, and then we go ahead and do it. Don't we? All of us do this. We know what we're supposed to do, but we don't do it. And then we get enslaved to our passions because there's something just pulling us along. Ah, I know this is wrong, but you do it anyways. This is how we are as human beings. We have a sinful nature. We're drawn into sin. We're sinners, and we're enslaved to it. That's our natural state. It doesn't sound very good for us, but then it gets good. Verse four, but when the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Told you it's good. She memorized it. I love this passage. It's so full, and we're not going to be able to get into all the details of this. But look, it says, when the kindness and love of our God and Savior appeared. We were all sinners. Paul's saying, I was a sinner. We were all undeserved. And God, in His kindness, looked at us, loving us and sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. He loved us. He had mercy on us. And it says He saved us Not because of righteous things we had done. You did not earn God's favor. You cannot earn God's favor. Even all the righteous things you do, he says, are not good enough. The reason why? Because we have bad motivations. We do it selfishly. We do it sometimes even to hurt other people. To make ourselves look good. We don't do it for the right reason. Even when we do some good things. Everything we do, it says in Isaiah... All our righteous deeds are filthy rags before God. They're not good enough. We've never done good enough. You've never earned enough favor, bought enough favor with God. But in his kindness, he looks at us and wants to save us out of mercy. He cares about you. Kindness and love. See why this is good? He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Now, this verse is really important to me. And I've shared this before, but a lot of you are new, so I, I mean, this is such an important part of my story. But I grew up going to church. My parents were Christians. They taught me well. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was about seven. I got baptized a little bit later, and I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew that I was supposed to do good. I had even been saved. I, I really believe I was saved. But as I got a little older, I wasn't really doing what I was supposed to do. Anybody been there? Amen. Amen. <laughs> I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. I was saved. And I, in fact, in my middle school years, I felt a call by God to be a pastor, to do a particular type of good work. But when I was 18, I was hanging out with some buddies of mine, and we broke into a warehouse. Now, this wasn't the first illegal thing I had ever done. It was the first time I got caught. We broke into this warehouse, and we vandalized it, and We were stupid. We were foolish. We were giving in to our selfish, sinful desires, just like Paul talked about. And then the cops came, a lot of them, a lot of them. They didn't know how many of us there were. So there were dogs. There were shotguns. They took me, slammed me up against the cop car, interrogated me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I was just terrified. Finally, they realized there were just three of us stupid teenagers being sinful and foolish. And one of the cops started to kind of warm up, and he said, so what do you want to be when you grow up? You can laugh now, right? But at the time, I was devastated. I couldn't even open up my mouth to speak. I knew what God had called me to do. I knew the good I was supposed to do and I was not doing good. I was doing bad. I was sinning. So I spent a freezing cold night in a holding cell. For some reason, they don't turn on the heat. I don't know what freezing cold night, and I just expected God to give me a divine spanking. Really, that's what I was waiting for. I know what I'm supposed to do. I was so ashamed of myself. But that night, that night I experienced God's grace and his mercy like never before. I knew that right in that moment I was forgiven. I didn't have to do anything. I just felt his love wash over me. And it transformed me. Later on, I memorized this verse, Titus 3, 5, and I realized that's what was happening. He saved me not because of righteous things I had done, but because of his mercy. And I realized it's time to do the good that he called me to do. Not because I have to pay him back, not because I have to earn his favor with him, but because he loved me first. He gave so I could give. He did good for me, so how could I not do good for others? Look at this verse with me. Man, it's so good. The second half of verse 5, it says, He saved us through the washing of rebirth. When we talk about being born again, this is what it means. We're washed because our sins have to be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. When we do baptisms here, we did them a few weeks ago, it's you being symbolically washed of your sins. It's showing outwardly what has happened inwardly in your heart. You're born again. You have a new life. And it says renewal by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit comes inside of your life to live in you, to change you from the inside out, to change your desires. So all of a sudden before you didn't like church or doing good or reading the Bible and all of a sudden you find yourself, man, I love God's word. I can't wait to learn more about God. I can't wait to serve other people. Your heart begins to change slowly throughout your whole life as the Holy Spirit works in you and renews you. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace. Do you know what that word justified means? It's just as if I'd never sinned. You know, in our court of law, someone can be declared guilty or not guilty, right? But in God's court of law, we are declared innocent and right with God. Not because we're right, we're guilty, but because Jesus was right. That's what it means to be justified, to be declared in the right with God. By his grace, we might become heirs, it says, having the hope of eternal life. We are now heirs of God. We are the brothers and sisters here, but we are the sons and daughters of God. We get to inherit eternal life. When we die, we get to inherit the kingdom of God forever. That's amazing, and that's how we live in that hope. So that's why we don't have to pay God back, because we're justified forever. It's a one-time act. We're declared right with God. We don't have to pay him back. We don't have to owe him and make it up and fill up our bathtub enough. No, we are saved for good. Forever, right? For good. And then it goes on in verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, that's how we receive this grace, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So Paul's saying, hey, you were saved by grace. God showed you mercy. He was good to you. So therefore, go and do good. Devote yourself to doing good. Not to earn favor, not to pay God back, but because your heart has been transformed. You following me now? You are saved for good for good. But this passage is teaching us. You're saved for good, for good. Now, some people struggle with this. Well, then, well, do I have to do good? How much? You know, but we're just tra- changed on the inside. We're transformed, and we're going to do good. If you let the Holy Spirit inside you and let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. Martin Luther, in that book I mentioned earlier, compares it to a paralyzed man. So a man is very sick. He can't move his arms, can't move his legs. To tell him to do good, to get up and walk... That would be the metaphor. To get up and walk, that would be stupid, right? Be angry. How can you tell me to get up and walk? I can't. I can't move my arms. I can't move my legs. It's foolish. And that's when we ask people to do good without letting them know why. That's what we're doing. We're telling a lame man to go walk. But what I love is that when the gospel comes into our hearts, when we accept the Holy Spirit and our hearts are changed, transformed, we all of a sudden have feeling in our arms and legs. We can get up and walk and move around. We can do good. I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus healed lame people in his life. Did you know he did that? People that were paralyzed. You may remember the the popular story from Luke chapter 5. There's this paralyzed man. He can't move. And his friends want to bring him. They're carrying him on this mat to bring him to Jesus. And they can't get in because there's too many people. So they go up on the roof. This is like... Seal Team 6 stuff. They open up the roof and they're lowering him down there, okay? Trying to get this man to Jesus because they want Jesus to touch him. Do you know what Jesus said? Your sins are forgiven. What? I, I think he's leading us to this metaphor here. Your sins are forgiven. But then what does he say? In order to prove that I can forgive your sins to transform your heart from the inside, get up, take your mat, and walk. And the man gets up and walks. He was forgiven, his heart was changed, and physically he was changed. So that's why this metaphor is so powerful, because when we are transformed on the inside, we're going to get up and walk. We're going to get up and do good deeds. We're going to do good deeds because we can. The the man on the mat didn't say, no, thanks, I'm good here. I like people carrying me around. No, he gets up and walks. When Peter heals a man in Acts chapter 3 that was lame, it says that he leaped up for joy. Because when your hearts change, you're going to use your limbs, right? You're going to walk. You're going to do good. You're going to help other people because you have been helped. You are saved for good, for good. You're saved for good, for good. And this is such an important thing for Paul that he, as he's establishing this church in these three chapters that he writes, this young church he closes by saying, don't mess with this. This message is so good. In verse 9, He says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. What he's saying is that these people, and we talked about them in chapter 1, in our third message in the series, these people were messing with this good news. They were trying to change it and saying, not only do you have to believe in Jesus Christ and trust in him and what he's done, you also have to do these other things. You have to be circumcised. You have to do good. That's why he's saying uh, controversies and genealogies. Why are genealogies important? Because these people said, because I'm descended from this person, I am saved. No, 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 it doesn't matter who your family is. No, it matters that you have trust in Jesus Christ alone. So anybody who messes with this gospel, he says, get rid of them. Warn them, warn them a second time, and then don't let them teach anymore. Basically, kick them out of the church. And what we do with unbelievers is we invite them into church, and we love them and hope to get them saved, but we don't let them teach. So that's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying here. Because it's so important that we don't mess with this good news, the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that we are saved not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, that you are saved for good for good. Make sure we stay on track with that, Paul says. Martin Luther said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. That's quoting Jesus. Such are all who wish with their many good works to buy God's grace from him as if he were a huckster or a day laborer unwilling to give his grace and favor for nothing. Don't let anyone tell you you have to earn favor with God or do something or do enough good to be saved. You don't. And you can't pay God back either. We do good because God has done good for us. Our hearts are transformed. You are saved for good for good. So Paul closes out this letter with some final remarks in verse 12. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. So Titus' job there was just temporary. He was setting up this healthy church and then he was going to move on and a new pastor was coming in. Verse 13, do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, even do good to lawyers, he's saying and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. And he closes with this. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Saying, you were lame and now you can walk, so walk. Your heart is transformed, so therefore go do good for others. Verse 15, everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. He's closing out this section with, as he's establishing this healthy church, he's saying you need to have an impact now. Last week we focused on the relationships in the church, how we're supposed to love each other and learn from each other. Now he's saying we need to go out and do good in our neighborhoods. That's why we're going to have our next series, Love Your Neighborhood, building on this idea. We're supposed to go out in our workplaces, in our families, and do good in our nation to do good. Not because we're earning favor. Not as some transaction to see what I can get back because the transaction was already made on the cross. We don't do it to pay God back, to give back. We do it because our hearts are transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has come in us. We've been reborn. We're made new every We're saved for good for good. So I know I haven't given a lot of practical applications of how to do that. Come back next week. We're going to focus on that for three weeks, about how we can literally love our neighbors. How we can love our neighbors. But what I want you to see in this short letter that Paul was saying, hey, we need to get this church healthy. It's a new church. We've got to be healthy. We've got to be focused. And just as a quick review, we learned in the first week that they had to have a goal. He said the goal of a healthy church, we learned, is godliness through the gospel. That people are sinful. All of us are. We still struggle. We make mistakes. We don't do the good we're supposed to do. But God wants to take us slowly, day by day, to become more and more godly and like him. That's the goal. Our goal is full maturity, like Jesus, every single one of us. And then we learn in the second week that we need to have someone out in the front of the formation. We need to have healthy leaders, godly elders, who are shepherds like Jesus. God establishes these leaders. And one of those things those leaders do in a church is to establish the truth and stand firm on the truth. They don't establish it. It's already established in the Bible, but they stand firm on that truth. And that means, in our third week, we learn, listen to the sound, listen to sound doctrine, not the sound of false teachers. Follow sound doctrine, not the sound of false teachers. So we learn that, and then part of that is that we learn that this message, there's one message that's central to all of the things that we do and how we live out our faith, and that is the gospel, that the gospel is everything. It motivates us in our giving. It motivates us in our living, how we interact with each other, the gospel is everything. And then today we have learned that we are saved for good, for good. So I hope that we can learn these five principles and build our church around them and be healthy here. This isn't everything that it takes to be a healthy church, but I think this is a pretty good foundation. And I hope that we have learned this as a church and I hope that you guys can commit to that as a church. So what I'm going to challenge you today is with a few applications. If you're here, and maybe this is even your first time, or you've been coming for a while, maybe you're one of those people who's been sneaking in and sneaking out. I see you. Maybe it's time for you to commit to this church. Maybe it's time for you to say, hey, I'm committing. And you can do that by coming to our new friend's lunch to get to know me and some of our leaders here in this church. Find out a little bit more about us. And then in a second week in August, we're going to have our... 101 class. This is a prerequisite to membership. So some of you are saying, hey, it's time for me to take that step and become a member here. I'm going to commit. Some of you need to just say, hey, I've been coming here for a while, but it's it's my time to step up, my time to start giving, start volunteering somewhere. You're going to say, this is my church and I want it to be healthy and I'm going to be a part of it. Maybe I'm challenging you today to do that. But some of you here today have never accepted Christ or you're saying, I'm not sure what I believe or, or I'm not, I don't know but you've been moved by this message. If That's you today, and you've felt God's grace, and you felt God's mercy through this message, and you know that God did save you, and, and He sent His Son to die for you. Maybe it's time to accept that gift of salvation by trusting in Him. And I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to say a prayer and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you do that, you are reborn. And you're saved for good. You're saved for good Forever. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. That's what Jesus said. You don't have to pay God back. You're saved for good, once for all. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that. And maybe for you that means I need to take that step of baptism. I do believe, but I need to show it publicly. I need to go public with my faith. We did five baptisms two weeks ago. I already have three new people who want to get baptized. So if you're here and you're like, I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to step into the water too to show my faith publicly. Let's do it. Okay, on your connection card, there's a little spot where you can mark, I'm ready to get baptized, and we'll do it. We'll dunk you sometime in the next couple months. Because it's so exciting to show publicly what has happened inside, that your heart has been transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. So would everybody just bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. I want everybody to have their eyes closed right now. Lord God, thank you for this message. Thank you for sending your son to die for us To give us that opportunity to be reborn no matter what we've done I am so grateful in my own life that you have transformed my heart And I pray today that others would experience that transformation as well With everybody's eyes closed with their heads bowed if you're here And you want to accept jesus christ as your lord and savior for the first time I'm going to say a prayer and I want you to repeat it after me This is just one simple way to accept that gift You can say it silently as we pray together to God. Lord God, I admit that I am a sinner. I admit I have done wrong, even when I know the good I should have done. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I ask you to send your spirit into my life. Lord, renew me with your spirit. Make me new. And help me to live for you. And to follow you. And help me to do good. Because you are good to me. Thank you. If you're here with your eyes still closed, heads bowed. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I just want to see your hands so I can be praying for you. I can just see your hand. If you could just slowly raise that up. Nobody's looking around. Lord God, thank you for pouring out your mercy on us. For sending your son Jesus to die for us on the cross. Thank you for loving us when we were really unlovable. And I pray that we could go out here transformed and have the right motivation for doing good. Not to buy favor. Not to pay you back. But because our hearts are transformed renew us every day for those of us who have fallen astray we know what was right but we've living it wrong lord pour out your mercy again on us and help us to live and do good out of a changed heart thank you for washing us with your blood amen